this morning, we're just going to dive right in today. Um, if you got your Bibles, if you would go to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 2 through 10, Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 10. And if you got it and you're ready, if you wouldn't mind standing for the reading of God's Word today, that would be awesome. Just lets me know you're ready to receive the Word today. Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 10. This is what the Word said. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed, or if you're from the KJV era, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Heavenly Father, as we step into your word today, I ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear and receive and learn today. God, speak to us, shape us, mold us, and transform us into everything you've called us to be. Help us to be more like you and to leave here different than what we came in. In your name we pray, amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. I've said before, I'm not typically a sermon series type of guy. And uh, I know I've done a couple of them since we've been here, but there, there are certain times when I think we need to dive into some teaching and deep learning more than uh, just declaring the Word of God over us. Because I've learned in my life that sometimes the, the power is in the simplicity of the Word, not so much always the, the declaration of the Word and, and the, the powerful prophetic use of the Word. Sometimes if we would just be obedient to what God says and to know His Word and to know Him and to walk in the truth, we would just be so much better off. And so we're going to take some time and dive into teaching, and we're going to go through some of the different uh, teachings that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount for a few weeks here. I don't have an exact timeline. We're not going to go through every single thing, but there are some things that uh, God highlighted for me to deliver to you uh, over the next few weeks, starting with the Beatitudes. Uh, this is a very common section of Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount is. It's very well known. It's very famous, and mostly because it is the first time Jesus really starts his public teaching uh, campaign and public preaching campaign. Uh, I, I find some significance in him being on the Mount and delivering this new way of life, this new teaching uh, to the people that they've never heard before, because it kind of reminds me of back in the Old Testament when Moses came down from the mountain carrying the Ten Commandments and the law that God had given him back for the Old Covenant. It's almost as if this is a mirroring event as Hebrews talks about Jesus being the better covenant, the better Moses, the greater Adam, the greater King David, and we see that Jesus is just better all around. It's almost as if there is a, 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 a reference back to that moment in the Old Covenant and here Jesus is laying out the foundation of the new covenant and way of life in the new covenant. And, and I find that very interesting 
for us, and we even see later on in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, I believe, where he answers the question about the abolishing of the law, because I'm sure there were some questions about, well, what about the old covenant law? You're laying out some new stuff for us, but what about the old stuff? And Jesus tells them, he says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And not one jot or tittle shall ever pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word stays forever. And he, he's declaring this to him. And when he says, I, I fulfilled the law, he's declaring to them that I am the Word made flesh. Everything we read in the Old Covenant, every, every bit of that law, every bit of that covenant simply points to the righteousness and holiness of Jesus. The Levitical priesthood, Jesus is the ultimate priest. The sacrifices, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Of kingship and, and leadership and, and guiding of the people, the shepherding that happened, Jesus is the great king and high priest and shepherd and sacrifice. All of those things that we see in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, Jesus manifested those things in himself when John says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And when he died on that cross, he fulfilled all of the requirements of the law for sacrifice, for purity, for cleansing. Uh, that's why we can wear polyester cotton blended shirts today. We don't have to have unblended and, and only one fabric woven together for us to wear. That's why we're allowed to eat bacon today. It's why we're, we're allowed, and you can praise the Lord for some bacon today. That's why we're allowed to eat shrimp and crab and all of those delicious foods that I love so much. That's why we are allowed, because Jesus fulfilled the requirement that came with that. And so that's a little insight into the significance of the Sermon on the Mount. I don't want to get into Old Covenant versus New Covenant today, but I need us to understand that moving forward, Jesus is laying the framework of the New Covenant for the people to follow. And he starts this out, this, this famous sermon, with these Beatitudes. And like I mentioned earlier during our time of offering together is it almost seems contradictory sometimes, some of the stuff in Scripture. It almost seems a little upside down or backwards where it's like, well, the first will be last, the last will be first. In what world does that make sense? If you watch a NASCAR race, first place is first place. Last place is last place. How could the last be first and the first be last? How is it possible to give and, and be better off giving than it is to save and withhold for ourselves. How is that even possible? It's because the way of the kingdom of God is not the same functioning way of the earth and the world. And so when we read these Beatitudes, we see some things like, uh, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How, have, how is it that we can be poor in spirit and still be blessed? How is it that we can be, be mourning and be blessed for our mourning, blessed for being meek, blessed for hunger and thirst for righteousness? It's all upside down from one perspective. But as we get ready to dive into the details of some of this, we're going to find that there, there is this interesting concept of less of me and more of him in our life, as Paul said. I must increase, or I must decrease, I'm sorry, that he might increase. And that is the, the moving and the functioning of the kingdom of heaven that we see in this scripture today. I want us to work through these beatitudes, and this isn't the most big revelation uh, 
hard preaching for you today. It's simple teaching, but uh, we really need to understand these things because there is so much power. In, there's a reason Jesus started off his teaching with all of these, because there's so much power in them. The first beatitude we see is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, when we look at what it means to be poor in spirit, it means simply to be desperately reliant on God. See, people who truly follow God understand and recognize our own shortcomings, our own inadequacies, our own failures, our own uh, weaknesses, and understand that without God, nothing would be possible for us. And you see, it is in that humility, in that poorness of spirit, understanding that ourselves are not capable of doing what needs to be done all the time. Understanding that we don't always have the strength, we don't always have the wisdom, we don't always have uh, what it takes, but we serve a God who is more sufficient than we could ever even imagine or ask. The Bible says that he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. He has access and knowledge to all things because he holds all things. And when we figure out and learn that in ourselves we fall short in all of these areas, in the grand scheme of things, we now open ourselves up through a poorness of spirit, a, a, a understanding that our own self is weak, but through Christ we can be made strong. And when we have that, and we have this, this desperate reliance on God, understanding that I don't even wake up in the morning without God's blessing for me to have life again today. When we understand that I don't eat today without God's permission and blessing for me to eat today. When we understand that God has taken care of us in all things, in all ways, then we begin to really truly understand how the kingdom of heaven works. And when we get to this point in our life, when we kind of get to the end of ourselves, is when all of a sudden we have been emptied of ourselves. Our spirit is empty. That's another translation. Blessed are those who are empty in spirit, who lack in spirit. We now understand that, listen, it's not about me. It's not in my strength. It's not in my might. It's not by my power. It is by his spirit. And so when our spirit lacks, his spirit comes and fills in for us. And so when Jesus sets this up, he's trying to teach us that we not, must not be reliant on ourselves for salvation. You see, I mentioned the Old Covenant earlier a few moments ago. And when you understand the Old Covenant, it was a lot of external work. It was a lot of doing the right things, saying the right things, eating the right things, wearing the right things. Uh, all of these ceremonial things and all of those different laws that are out there. And, and, and understanding that most of those things were all about your strength and your ability. And if those would have worked, there would have been no reason for Christ to come. But because of the human condition and us lacking the ability, in other words, being poor in spirit, being poor in ourselves to uphold those things, we needed God to come and save us. So when Jesus is putting this out there, he's saying, essentially, you are blessed when you realize you can't do it and you need God to take care of it for you. 
your self-righteousness is no good here in this kingdom culture, in this kingdom uh, economy. Your self-righteousness does not work because your righteousness is as filthy rags, and we needed somebody to be righteous for us, and his name is Jesus. And so Jesus is trying to tell him, you need to rely on God, not your own self. And when you get to that point, when you rely totally and fully on God, you find yourself to be blessed. The second beatitude is he says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. You see, we, there's, there's two different ways we can look at that. We can look at that as, you know, we can be depressed and upset and, and down on life and God certainly will come and wrap his loving arms around us and comfort us and lift our heads and our spirits up when we are down. And that's one, that's one application, but there's another application here and that is the ability and understanding uh, to mourn the sins of ourselves and the sins of this world. You see, there, there's this uh, wonderful phenomenon, and I say that sarcastically, that has happened where we have been hardened to the condition of the world. We don't mourn the sin anymore. We just learn to tolerate it and live with it. We just say, well, that's just the way things are. We even look at our own lives and say, oh, I've, I've just always been this way. I, I can't change now. And we make excuses for our sin rather than mourning our sin. And what he's speaking to here is a brokenheartedness about the way we live our life. When was the last time you truly mourned because you sinned? Or is it just, oh, well, I guess we all fall short. You see, he's asking us to be, have a sincerity, to be sincere in the way we view the world and the way we view ourselves and our shortcomings and understanding that when we have this sincerity, there is a blessing that comes when we mourn over our sin, when we truly are broken and convicted when things are wrong. He says, you'll be comforted when you mourn because you really truly mean it. There's many times that I believe the people of God sin, and I'm kind of tired of just calling sin just, oh, we made a mistake, we made an oopsie. It's sin. It's the violation of God and his law. And we got to stop softening it, for one. But I believe that when we are sincere about it and we are truly broken over it, that's when we can be comforted with his forgiveness and grace in our life. But when we just rub uh, rub it off, rush our, wash our hands of it, and just make light of it, and we don't really care. And we're like, oh, well, God forgive me. And we move on with our life, and, and nothing moves within us that recognizes we just sinned against God Almighty, the creator of the universe. How could we ever really truly expect to be forgiven if we don't really even care that we sinned? I'm not saying you need to fall flat on your face and soak your carpet in tears every time you sin. I'm just saying there should be a sense of brokenness and a sense of mourning within our spirit that says, oh God, forgive me, I sinned against you today. If we are not moved to repentance through conviction of our sin and we are not moved to where we are broken by our own sin, how can we really ever be genuine in our repentance? 
If we are not genuine in our repentance, I'm reminded in Scripture where Jesus talks about the the two people who go in to pray. One beats his chest and said, oh, Lord, wretched man that I am, please forgive me. And the other says, hey, God, I'm glad I'm not like him. And Jesus looks at the people and says, who do you think walked out of there right before God? And they said it was the man who cried out and mourned over his own imperfection. I think there's, oh, there is so much to be preached in that story by itself that I just don't have time for today. But we need to understand today that our sin is sin, and it is a heavy matter. It is not something to be dealt with lightly, but for us to mourn over, understanding that we are falling short of God's glory, and we need His grace and mercy to lift us up. And that is how we become blessed in our mourning, is to understand and get to that point where we can say, Oh God, I have sinned, and I am short of your glory. God, forgive me and lift me up out of this muck and miry pit. And the Bible says that when we do that, we will receive comfort. And not just comfort of, I had a bad day and I need a little hug and a pat on the back and a trip to Starbucks and Target to make me feel better. But what we really need is His grace and His mercy to say, hey, listen, yes, you you sinned, you fell short, but I still love you and I am still here for you. That is what Jesus is telling the people. That when we begin to be broken over ourselves, when we begin to be broken over our shortcomings, when we begin to be broken, over our our poor spirit and the lacking of righteousness in our life, that's when we can really start to have the key to unlock the door to receive the blessing and mercy of God. We have to get to a point and get back to a point where we will mourn our sin and mourn over the things of this world that are broken and lost instead of just saying, well, that's just the way things are, I guess and ignoring them. The, the next beatitude we see is, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is a powerful one, and uh, we, we look at meekness and humility kind of weird uh, in the church and in life today. You see, meekness is not weakness. We think meek means basically being a walking mat for everybody else in the world to step on as believers. Oh, don't ruffle any feathers. Oh, don't don't say that. You can't speak the truth because it'll offend somebody. You know how many people Jesus offended in his lifetime? In fact, it was because of his meekness that he was offensive to people. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is just submitting your will to God's will. I want to I want to bring some light to this for you because if you're avoiding truth, not to offend people, I can tell you right now, you're submitting to your will, not God's will, because you don't want to offend somebody. God has no problem offending people. In fact, Jesus said, I I have come and I will offend. Many will be offended by the gospel message. Scripture is clear on that matter. And if we think that we can live according to the gospel and not be offensive, then we are living according to a wrong gospel message. Not that you seek out fights intentionally. Not that you seek out uh, quarreling and, and all of those things on purpose. But there is a default setting that comes with living in truth and that the last beatitude even talks about, and we'll get to that in a minute, that if you live in righteousness and you live in truth, people aren't going to like you very much. 
Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not being a walking mat and a doorstep and a doormat for everybody because you don't want to offend and you need to be meek like Jesus. Jesus was strong. He was not weak. In fact, he was the strongest to ever live because it took a lot more strength to go through what he went through than any of us ever have within ourselves. Because he did it willingly. Those thieves that hung next to him, they didn't go willingly. They went because they were condemned to death for their sins and for their crimes. They didn't choose that. They were forced to it. And so we got to understand today that meekness is just simply submitting to God's will, understanding that our way is not the best way and his way is. That's how we inherit the earth. And what what does it mean to inherit the earth? When we are submitted to God's will, we will find more doors opening for us. We find more good things happening. We find more fruitfulness. We find more growth. We find more development. We see people becoming saved. Because if we were really submitted to God's will, if we were really submitted to his way, we would listen when God, when Jesus told his disciples and commissioned all of us to go into the world to preach the gospel and make disciples. And guess what happens when you submit to that will and that plan? You make disciples and preach the gospel and people get saved and delivered and set free. And we inherit the earth through that. And it's not that we are in this to inherit riches and to inherit all of these things, but when we are meek and we are submitted to God's will for our life, everything you could ever need will be provided for you. You will inherit what God has for you on this earth. And I want to inherit all that God has for me on this earth. Whatever section he's designated for me, I want. I don't want to leave this earth with anything left undone that he had for me to do. But we have to be meek, understanding that it's not our will, it's not our way, it's all his will and his way. Jesus goes on to say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. This is a powerful, powerful beatitude here because the, under, the understanding we need to have about this one is in order for us to be satisfied by righteousness, we actually have to have an appetite for it. And if I've learned anything, it's that we have this warring between us. Galatians says the spirit is against the flesh and the flesh is against the spirit. There is a fight for an appetite within us. What, what thing are you going to satisfy? What appetite will you satisfy? And I've learned some things. And I've learned that you have to program yourself to have the right appetite for the righteousness of God. Because when you, that's what you're hungry for, that's what you're going to go eat. How many of you, if you get a craving for some ice cream, you just go get some ice cream? If we're going to be honest. How many of you, if you want some pizza or you want some Taco Bell or you want 
Chipotle or you want Olive Garden or whatever it is that you like to eat, if you want it, that's what some of you have thought about lunch already today saying, what do I have an appetite for today? And that's what you're going to go get because you have an appetite for it. Some of you aren't even listening to me today. You're too busy thinking about lunch. But the truth of the matter is, what you have an appetite for, you will pursue to satisfy that appetite. The problem is, is when we have an appetite for sinfulness and unrighteousness and for all the things of the world, we will pursue that, we will stuff our faces with the buffet of the world, and we will never be satisfied. But when Jesus says, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, when you have the right appetite for the right things and, and, the, and the righteousness and goodness and truth and mercy and all of the things of God, when you have an appetite for those things and you pursue those things and you eat of those things, you will find satisfaction in those things. The problem is, is we have all these other appetites that we are trying to feed and we're wondering why we're never happy. We're wondering why we're never at peace. It's because we're not feeding ourselves with the things of God. We're not eating from his dinner table, from his buffet. We're not eating of his bread of life. We're eating of all these other things, trying to satisfy our hunger and our emptiness, only to never really truly be satisfied. I, I heard something the other day just like two days ago, that really, really was a powerful revelation for me with this particular beatitude. I learned something about fasting that I just never knew on a physical level. Somebody said they were looking for advice on a health and wellness uh, podcast thing that I was listening to. It popped up on Facebook or whatever. And they said, how do I defeat these cravings? How do I get rid of all of these cravings that I have? I, I can't say no to chocolate. I just don't have the strength. The guy said, go on a fast. Purge your body of all of those things. Go on a 24 to 48-hour fast. Don't eat, any of those, don't eat anything, just water. And at the end of it, go eat something healthy when you break your fast. It resets your appetite. I found that to be very powerful for this particular beatitude. Because when your body is so hungry, if you've ever done a complete fast for any period of time, even 12 hours, you get hungry. If you've ever had to have blood work or anything done at the doctor's office, a lot of times you have to do a 12-hour fast, and you're ready to eat when you're done. But he said when you... When you fast for that period of time and then you break the fast with broccoli or a salad or something healthy, what happens is, is your body learns that, oh man, I was so hungry and I was so desperate for some food. I ate the healthy thing and I found that to be satisfying. But when our normal state of living, usually when we're hungry, we go to whatever's quick and easy, the bag of chips, the, the Oreos, the little Debbie cakes, the donuts, we go to whatever's quick and easy and is sugary and what and like I'm not trying to give you health and wellness message today, but I'm trying to help you understand something spiritual that if you need help resetting your appetite for God's righteousness and all the things of God, go on a fast 
and then let the thing that be satisfies you be satisfying to you during the fast be the things of God. That's why you hear, when you go on a fast, and if you've done a real fast and been disciplined in it, you hear from God so clearly. If you aren't eating and all you're doing is reading the Word of God and spending time in prayer instead, you're learning to satisfy your body, your mind, your spirit, your appetite with the things of God rather than the things of the world. When you fast your social media, you find your anxiety and your depression and your worry to be starved out, and you are replacing it with the Word of God. Now you're satisfying the, your, your, your appetite for news with the good news. Are you all following with me this morning on this one? That was such a powerful revelation for just that beatitude, is that if we would just break from these other things, we can change our appetite this morning. I might have to finish this next week. The Bible goes on to say, I'm going to do just at least a couple more here, and then I might finish this next week. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is such an important part of the Christian faith. Mercy means to simply not get what you actually deserve. We deserve to die for our sins, but God showed us mercy. We deserve to suffer for our disobedience, but God shows us mercy. This, if you want to receive mercy, you have to show mercy. This is just like when Jesus said after he was talking, uh, he taught them how to pray with the Lord's Prayer, and he, he comes to the end of that and says, you will never receive forgiveness if you don't forgive your brother. If we want to receive mercy, we have to give mercy. And you may not always receive mercy from people, but you will receive mercy from God when you show mercy to others. If we want to be blessed with mercy and receiving mercy, then we better learn how to show some mercy. There are people in our life that probably don't deserve it, but we need to show it anyway. Don't give them what they deserve. Instead, show them mercy you might be surprised at how it could transform their life. Jesus goes on to say, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is powerful. Blessed are the pure in heart. It's to live an authentic life with no ulterior motives for the things that you do. It's to be real with God. It's to be real with people. It's to not have selfish desires mixed in with what we do in our life. It's also to guard our hearts from having a heart that is polluted by the world and sin. If we want to see God, we got to walk in pureness and holiness. If we want to see God move in our life, if we want to see God's will be done, we have to be pure in our heart before Him. 
not having ulterior motives. If you want to see God move in a ministry, in a business, or whatever, don't do it out of your own selfish desires. Do it out of obedience for God. No other reason other than you love God and you love people. The two greatest commandments. Whatever you do, do it as unto God, as Galatians teaches us, with a pure heart. When you do it that way, you see God move in ways you never thought he could move. He will move on your behalf, and you will see God not just in heaven, but here on earth be revealed. There's two more, if you'll bear with me this, this morning. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. As believers, we should be seeking to bring harmony and unity in the body of Christ at all times, never seeking to cause division or strife. It's interesting when you read in, uh, in the book of Romans, it says that we were enemies with God, but through Christ's sacrifice, we have been brought un- into peace with God. And so if we want to be called a son or daughter of God, we need to be peacemakers, not just making peace within people, within our body, amongst our brothers and sisters, with our family and friends and community, but we need to lead others to peace with God as well. If, if Jesus is the Son of God and he made peace for us and led us into peace with God, if we want to be called a child of God, son or daughter of God, then we need to lead others to have peace with God as well. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We need to lead people out of rebellion and sin and teach them how to live in harmony and obedience to God and at peace with God by following his word. We have a special calling to lead people into this peace. Finally today, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is, I'm going to close with this one today. This is so important for us to understand this one. Like I mentioned earlier, when you are living in righteousness and truth before God, don't be surprised if you make enemies by default. You'd be called, you'll be called a bigot. You'll be called a hypocrite. You'll be called everything there is and more. They'll create new terms. I'm grateful that that's the worst we have to endure is some name-calling. There are countries still today that will behead you and hang you, stone you, and kill you for being a believer of Christ. And if the Lord tarries and we are still here, there is a good possibility that we could experience some of that someday. Some of us, and I hope me and my family are among those who get to go be with God before that happens, but if for whatever reason God tarries and it gets to that point in the world, so be it. But in order for us to really stand firm in all of these other beatitudes, we have to be willing to endure the persecution that comes. It's easy to give up mourning sin when you get persecuted for trying to live righteous 
Because you say, I'm not, why am I so, I, all I, I mourn my sin. I try to live right. I'm poor in spirit. I try to live right. I, I try to be meek. I try to be merciful. And all I ever get is spit on, slapped in the face, stabbed in the back. All of these bad things keep happening to me. So I'm going to give up on a, all of it. Because every time I try to do right, every time I try to fulfill what God has for me, I turn a corner and there's just something else hitting me. There's just another problem. It's easy. Persecution comes in different forms. It comes from other people and it comes from the devil. He'll use other people to bring it upon you. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And what happens is when we begin to experience the trials that come with trying to live righteous before God, we want to give up on it. Because we start saying, what's the point in doing the right thing when nothing good ever comes from it? When every time I turn around, there's more problems. And the problem we have, the real problem we have, is that we lack the ability to see the blessing, and more specifically, the long-term blessing, the goal, the prize of that being the kingdom of heaven and Christ himself and the inheritance that is yet to come. Because we don't see that, and we don't focus on that, but rather we focus on the hardship and the persecution, we miss out, and we give up. And we don't endure the persecution that comes. Will you bow your heads with me today?